What's up, guys? Casey and George back with the Go On Bracket Racing YouTube channel. Didn't get to do any racing this weekend, right, George? Unless you snuck out on me. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Just rehabbing this Achilles. <laughs> and uh, I'd say I'm about two weeks out, Casey, so I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, uh, note to self, uh, guys, don't tear your Achilles tendon. Uh, you've heard me say it once, well, I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, wake up at 7 o'clock every morning to go to rehab, and they take and, and push it back as far as they can. That way I can stretch it out and get more strength. So, But but uh, I'm figuring that, uh, right at the end of August I ought to be back in, uh, God willing. You know how that goes. That's sooner than we thought, man, because I remember whenever you told me that you first did that, you thought the season was over. So luckily you live in Texas. The racing season goes a little bit longer than it used to. So maybe you still can, can – uh, maybe you just sacrifice the hot weather. That ain't so bad anyway. Hey, so be it. So be it. Yeah, I won't get, a, get as much data as what I want on my truck, but uh, uh, I won't have a hot weather tune, let's just put it that way. Everything else is working pretty good. We'll, we'll see if we can just pick it back up and stand on the loud pedal and let go of that button pretty good in double O uh, here in the next couple of couple of weeks. So, no, nah, man, what we got going on today going bracket racing YouTube fans? Man, that was, uh, that was pretty much all we had, just like you said before we even started the show. We didn't do a whole lot because we didn't go racing, so uh, I guess we didn't lose, so that's a good thing. But let me tell you something, man. We got a guest on here tonight that if you have a problem with losing too much, this is the man you want to talk to, man. He's the guy that's over there at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. He's usually the one that's doing all the interviewing, but we're going to flip the script on him, and we're going to ask him the very first question that we always ask everybody on the Golden Bracket Racing YouTube channel. Mr. Luke Bogacki, how'd you even get into bracket racing to begin with? Oh man, I was born into it. Um, thanks guys for having me on. No, my, uh, I'm a second generation racer. My dad raced, um, kind of instilled a passion uh, in the sport with me at a young age. I, my, I was actually born in Southern California. We lived there till I was about eight years old. So I remember uh, some of my earliest racing memories were going with him to racetracks that are no longer in operation. We did uh, like LACR, uh, Riverside, Carlsbad. Uh, I think, I want to say Orange County was actually before my time. I don't actually have recollections of going there. And I remember going to a lot of swap meets with him. My dad had a lot of good swap meet stories, like four-year-old kid walking around saying, hey, man, what you want for that blower? You know, <laughs> Yeah, they didn't think the four-year-old kid had quite the wallet that it took for it, did they? No, but I think the guy was so tickled he gave me something, some other little trinket there. He's like, just just take this, kid. So my dad always liked to tell so, that story. Speaking of young kids, though, little side note here, your son ran his junior for the very first time. Is that fun starting to pay off? Yeah, yeah. We've actually – he's been out now four or five times. Uh, we tested a couple of times. I think he's raced now four times. We went to uh, mainly at I-57. But uh, we had to get him his NHRA license, so we ventured down to Bowling Green Sunday. He got his license runs, and he actually won his first round, which everywhere we've been, he's got to race the old kids. And yep. I would say he's come a long way. He's actually doing really good. I assume that his learning curve would be a lot steeper than mine, and I had that completely backwards. He's The, the driver has done a much better job than the car and the crew chief to this point. <laughs> Hopefully we're both starting around the corner a little bit. <laughs> I-57 Dragstrip, man. That's where I made my first run into Junior Dragster down I-57 Dragstrip back in, man, I don't even know when that would have been now, 97 or 8, somewhere okay. around there. We're the old guys in the sport. <laughs> I know. I still feel like I'm 18, and I, every time I look up, I'm getting my butt kicked by somebody that's 20 years younger than I am. <laughs> Is his name Corey Galetti? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, and, and, Luke, you, you've, you've been around the block pretty good there uh, as far as NHRA, big money bracket racing. Um, any type of bracket racing you can really think of, I think Mr. Cool Hand Luke has done. So I guess my question is going to be right off the bat. Uh, you went from big money bunny bracket racer to NHRA champion. Kind of getting back into big money bracket racing. Um, and uh, kind of curious, uh, after winning the Spring Fling Vegas, you know, um, are you, are you coming back to big money bracket racing anytime soon? You got the plans to go big money bracket racing? We've gone back and forth quite a bit the last couple of years. To be honest, where we're at right now, just in life and family, the NHRA stuff is a little bit more, I don't know, like conducive to our lifestyle. Like it's the we go to the big dollar bracket races and my two boys, they want to get up early. And if we race till three in the morning, they're still getting up at six thirty. You know what I mean? It, it just it can be pretty taxing, whereas the NHRA stuff is 
you're typically done at dark. It's kind of like an old man's game, you know what I mean? But uh, right now it seems to suit us well and we've got cars for it. So that's kind of been our main focus at least this season. But I just, I get a kick out of doing as much of everything as possible. I think there's advantages, not only from a driving standpoint, but just from how much I enjoy it to mix things up, to do a little bit of top bulb, a little bit of bottom bulb, a little bit of NHRA stuff. So we try to mix it up as much as we can. I got you, and you're turning to, to excellent form from what I can see looking at my little notes here. Uh, back to the super gas season in 2021 right now, currently, shaping up to be pretty nice for you. Uh, you want to expound on that a little bit? Looking pretty good this season. It's been crazy to start. It's funny, man, because I felt like, I mean, I could make a lot of excuses. Like we, we debuted my Vega last season. We debuted the new Corvette last season. So, and with COVID, like everything was kind of choppy, you know, at least we never really got into a flow with racing, but it was probably my worst on-track season ever. I mean, I, w- I didn't win a race last year. Uh, I made maybe one final. Like it was just, and, and didn't drive particularly well. It was one of those seasons where when it got, when we got through it, I thought, man, like, I, I think, uh, you know, we don't get to race very much. And I feel like I'm losing that, that edge. And, and you just kind of start to question and doubt everything. And then we turn the page, the, turn the calendar to this year. And I'm not doing anything different. And I can't seem to do anything wrong, particularly in Supergas. You know, I mean, we just had had tremendous success. So it's funny how that works. I was actually, I'm, I'm pretty close with uh, Peter Biondo. And he shared something the other day. You know, he's been racing the last four or five weeks. And it's pretty much won everywhere he'd been up until Galat. And uh, he's like, yeah, it felt really good, you know, because I was, I was really starting to question myself. I'm like you're Peter Biondo, man. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we don't race much more and I'm getting older. And it just made me realize that we all have thoughts like that, but that had definitely crept into my head. So it, it feel, it felt really good to start this year the way that we have, I guess was a long way of saying that. Excellent. Excellent. That's right, man. And there's, there's a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of old guys that blow the dust off when they get bored and retire and haven't raced for 20 years. And they do just as good as anyone too, man. There's, there's a guy named Billy Lawrence, drives the Strutmaster's truck going 740s, runs at Galat all the time. He won the PDRA race out there and just, that dude is double O more than anybody I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Um, I wish I could hit the tree like an old man. <laughs> but, uh, can't quite do it all the time. But uh, no, seriously though, so the reason we wanted to have you on, uh, well, one of the many reasons we wanted to have you on was we wanted to actually talk about, you got a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit within you. Uh, with this is rack racing, this is rack racing elite, things like that, where you're literally teaching your competitors how to beat you on the racetrack. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with that idea and what made you decide to kind of, rather than just being a racer full-time, being a full-time racer and a full-time teacher and a full-time NHRA competitor and a dad and a husband, et cetera, et cetera. Man, it's a funny story with, with TIBR. So we got to go back to, I don't know, the years probably 2007. Yeah, because I think we actually launched the website in 08. So it might have even been before that, 06, 07. It's a buddy of mine uh, from Venita, Oklahoma, which is near Tulsa, named Blake Allen. And Blake had been on me for over a year. Hey, man, you, you, need, to, you need to teach a school on bracket racing. You know, and at the time, I'm what 25 years old and uh, had some success but i'm like man who that who wants to listen to me talk about you know bracket race and that that seems a little far-fetched and so i, I told him I, I appreciate the offer but you know, that, that 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 does that doesn't seem like something that i'd take on and he kept on and kept on and kept on and i kept kind of pushing it off to the side and uh finally he called one day and he's like all right listen i got 12 guys they've all paid me i've got the track rented you're going to come teach this class and you're going to make x amount of money like Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> I got, is it Mocan Dragway? And again, probably 2006. And uh, so I, I put together, you know, I thought about it for a few weeks and kind of put together, a, I guess you'd call it a curriculum. And I w- I'll be honest, guys, I was nervous as anything because I thought, man, I'm going to get in there and these guys are going to not really, uh, uh, you know, they're going to question the way that I approach things and, and they're going to wonder if this is worth the money. And, and uh, you know, I mean, all these, all these crazy fears. Well, then I got in there and you just realized that we would be the same way, right? Like if I 
if I paid to come to something, it's obviously from somebody that I respect, looked up to, like, I just want to soak in everything I can. And that's the way that those guys were in that class. And it was so much fun. And it was so, I still talk to a number of the guys that were, that were there that say like, that was transformational. Like that was, you know, two of the most fun days I ever had at the racetrack. And it just flipped my whole outlook on it. So from there, I'm like, man, let's do more of this. This was awesome. And that led to uh, probably two years of doing a lot more of those live schools. And then, uh, you know, eventually it kind of challenged myself like, okay, this is cool to reach five, six, ten people at once, but how could we scale this? And that's when we took it online with This Is Bracket Racing and it's kind of progressed from there. But that's the origins of it. That was me pushing back, pushing back and finally going, all right, like you talked me into it. Let's try it. And it's been one of the coolest things in my life. So. so have you pulled into the burnout box a few times, especially at I-57 Drag Strip and looked over, seen one of your stickers on the side of the car and been like, well, wish I didn't teach him all that stuff right now. <laughs> so that's all the time. But that thought doesn't really come into my mind. Like I, I it's one of those things. I, I feel like the competition is more fun when we're all kind of on a level. You know what I mean? That way it's really comes down to, okay, who can execute, who can outsmart the opponent. Like we're all working from the same textbook, so to speak. And I, I actually like that part of it. Turn it into a mental game, huh? Everybody's got the same, same mindset, same format practically um who can who can execute that's an interesting way i've i've not really looked at it that way but that's a that's an interesting way of looking at things no that's a hundred percent especially in this day and age like i feel like the technology has come so far the knowledge level has come so far i mean you guys know how much this has tightened up just in the 20 30 years that we've been involved in i mean it's night and day and now i just feel like if you understand how everything's supposed to work and you've got the basic tools where 20 years ago that may have given you this crazy advantage like now you're just one of the 90 percent that really understand what's going on and it's at that point that i feel like the separation is so minimal but it's all up here you know what i mean i, I think it's all an approach 99 percent of people in third round know what they're doing yeah <laughs> no doubt no doubt it's a good point and let alone if you get any further than the third round you're going to run up against somebody who's that's a hundred percent of everybody knows what the, what's going on at, at that point so now look uh, you you've done it all like i said before man do you have anything in your mind that you could just pull out for the going bracket racing youtube followers that you would say yeah I, I might need to accomplish this and if i do i could say i've accomplished it all i've done it all anything in your mind that you can think of that would be like hey i, I really need to, to x this one off my bucket list I feel like we all kind of create arbitrary goals to keep pushing through. Like the only thing that comes to mind right this instance, I, I told you, Peter and I are, are fairly close and he was, he was complimenting my super guy season to the, to date. This was a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, whatever you do, just don't, don't put up. I, th I forget the number, like 738 points or something like that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Cause he had like 780 one year. Like he won all but one race in stock. And I, I had researched this at one point, but I had kind of forgotten about it, and I didn't really realize it would be at the top of his mind, but he owns the three highest scores in NHRA history, and the lowest of the three was 738, something like that. He's like, I, I really like having the three best. Like, don't get up there. <laughs> so now that, I took that as like a challenge. That's like, challenge. that's the new goal for the year. You know what I mean? But now, bigger picture, like a few years back, and I don't, I don't mean to, to say this to sound like, I've accomplished so much, but I came from, I felt like I had pretty big dreams around racing, you know, starting out and being around it. And I'll be honest, like I've eclipsed everything that I'd ever thought that I could do and, and more. So for me, like if you want to take Mount Rushmore, it'd be uh, the world championship, the Springfield Million win, winning Indy, winning the Jags All-Stars. And when I kind of checked those four off the list, I'm like, okay, what, what's next? I'm like, not really anything else I always wanted to do. You know what I mean? So if something happened tomorrow and I could never race again, like I would be completely content to walk away. Like I've done everything that I want to do. And now for me, it's more about, I guess part of it is still kind of finding a way to challenge yourself and, and, and try to grow and try to continue to get better. Cause I don't think that ever stops, but broadly speaking at this point, like I just, I really enjoy racing. I enjoy the way we do it as a family. It's a whole lot of fun now with, with Gary racing, kind of to your point earlier, Casey. When he turned on, he turned on his first wind light Sunday at Bowling Green. And when it lit up, like, 
when you want to be sportsmanlike because the other dads, he's a racer, racer. I wanted to jump out of my shoes, man. Like I've never been so excited to see a win like in my life. And it's really to some extent the same way when Jess races and just the time that we get together. It, it reminds me of the way that I grew up and, and just the camaraderie and the competition. I like everything about our sport, but right now it's pretty special getting to do it with the people I love. Definitely, man, definitely. That's me and my dad went through all that back in the day and everything too. And I know that you're going to like it a lot better too once he gets a little bit older and you can kind of talk through what you're thinking about. And if if not even necessarily wanting his input, just having him understand what you're saying so you can talk it through in your own head. And he can help you every once in a while. I know whenever I was, I might have been like eight or maybe seven or eight, I was at Evansville, Indiana, where the boat's at the finish line. That's what we were talking about with Jake Hodge the other day. Uh, and if you run too far off the end of the track, you're going to nail that boat. And I'm sure it's still there. I don't think the track races anymore, but it's there. But anyway, I dialed my dad in that whole night. He had the best time ever. He ended up actually winning that night in his whole Camaro. But uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is it harder to win nowadays than it was in the past? Or do you think that you just need a different skill set today versus in the past? Because like we were talking about earlier, yeah, all the equipment has gotten so much better. It's exponential. So it's putting everybody on a level where now the driver has to think about a lot of stuff more. So mentally, it seems like the game's harder now, whereas your skill set, you still needed to be a really good driver back in the day, but it was more so, say, at the finish line rather than the spot dropping, the you know the holding numbers, the being double O, absolutely knowing where you're at, things like that. What are your thoughts? I don't I don't think it's off base to say it's harder. Like I just feel like the margin for error is thinner than it's ever been. And that it's consistently gotten thinner seemingly every season since I started. It will probably continue in that direction um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, technology, knowledge, everything that we talked about earlier plays a role. Um, but I just feel like the, the difference between winning and losing is more slim than it's ever been. So I think, and I think there's more parity than there's ever been. So, uh, even if you make great runs and never make mistakes, like you're just not going to win at the rate that if you took the skill set that, you know, you say your, your top 10% of racers have today and took that racer in, in their current technology back in time, even 10 years, like they would dominate. But everybody has progressed. So I, I don't think it's crazy to say that it's more difficult now. Um, I think it's easier to kind of beat your head against the wall. That's always been a part of bracket racing. You know, like you feel like you can, you can always kind of quote unquote do nothing wrong and it doesn't necessarily guarantee success. But that, that just seems exponential in this day and age because it's kind of commonplace to lay down like 10 total and not see the wind light come on, you know, and so I, I do, I would, I would say it's a little bit more difficult than it's ever been. Yeah, that's, 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 and that's, uh, like you said, that's, that's hard to, to live with sometimes, but it is the reality of today's racing. You, you go out there, you're perfect and one above and you lost. And that's, that's, that's a lot to say. Um, so somebody hide the sharp objects is, that's a common <laughs> term now. You know what I mean? So, um, and I get it. It, it, every, everybody's got, you know, best of the best this, best of the best that. It's not hard to come across this car that's already set up to run within a couple of thou. Uh, the moment you bought it off of Drag Race Results or one of the sites off of Facebook that says, hey, I know who used to own that car. Maybe uh, Scotty Richardson sold a truck or an S10 or something like that. If Scotty owned it and you don't own it winning, I might have a good chance. So your confidence level coming in with your equipment, it's just it's far superior than what it used to be, I think. Um, and so, uh, but in your opinion, besides the race car here, what skills, uh, 2021, I guess we can speak of 2021, uh, do you think a driver needs to be considered, if not great, amongst the greats? I've always been kind of a sucker for versatility. Like, I, and I, and I know that that's kind of lost in this day and age, really for good reason. You know, Jed and I talked about this a few weeks back. Like, you take somebody like, Nick Hastings and like he's amazing and I think I, I have no doubt that if he like got into a dragster on the top ball like he'd win like winners win you know they figure out a way but at this point like what is the incentive for him to do that like he can race for 10 to 50 grand on the bottom and he's the best bottom ball racer I've ever seen and he can do that every single week like why would he do anything different I, I wouldn't do anything different if I were him and it's relatively low budget the way he does yes. it too. so he's right. actually winning even more money because he doesn't have the maintenance 
Yes, correct. Totally. He's actually he's he's going about it in a really smart way. That's I think Scotty's turned the corner with that too. Like he's got fairly low budget equipment and he's still Scotty. You know what I mean? Like it it just makes sense. But I think uh, to your to your question, George, like it depends a little bit on what you're doing, the type of racing that you're doing, but specific to eighth mile big dollar bracket racing because that's really where it's at today every skill is still important and valuable but i think that there is significantly less emphasis for good reason on the finish line in this day and age just because our cars are so freaking good and eighth mile racing like in in a typical bracket setup like they just shouldn't move a whole lot so that's not to say that the better finish line drivers don't have a slight advantage, but I don't think it's nearly as magnified as it was 10 or especially 20 years ago where we couldn't depend on the cars as much. So the skill sets that I think are really important today are a having an unbelievable car, which is easier to do than ever. You know I mean? Still can be really tricky. Like we all fight with it occasionally, but by and large, there's a lot of really good cars out there on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, I, I mean, I think it's just simple math. Like the skill that really separates now is not just the ability to wreck the tree, but particularly, and you see it with what like somebody like Jeff Sarah does or Christopher Dodd, or I mean, I could, I could handpick a handful. There's somebody I'm missing. Hunter's really amazing on the tree, obviously as well. It's not just the ability to be really good on the tree. It is the ability to just let go unconsciously first round through 10th round. You know what I mean? From noon till three in the morning and just be able to have that repetition and perform whatever the stakes are, whatever the situation is. Like that in this day and age is A, really impressive. And I think it's, we're talking thousands of a second, but I do think that it's that end of the track more often than not today that separates the elite, you know, the the 1% from the rest. So let me let me just, I, I didn't have a, a second question written down on this, but it's along the same lines. And it's kind of my thought process. It always has been ever since I was a little kid uh, growing up playing a, a drag racing simulator. Everybody knows the story. If you follow the Going Bracket Racing YouTube channel, I didn't, I didn't junior drag to race at all. Uh, I grew up on a computer. My dad raced, so I was at the racetrack every week. But, but the thought process behind letting go and being able to call out your reaction time or being within a couple of thousands after you've let go – are, are you considering that in, in your thought process of, hey, if you can let go one zero through 10 uh, and know you're perfect or close to in, in the double range, are you considering that part of that? It's funny, man. I, I got introduced to that concept in general. I mean, it, we're probably talking 15, 20 years ago now, but I had never thought about it in the, in the light that you had just said until I was at the Moroso five day one year after hours. And... Um, Jaggy and, and, and his brothers, the Coughlin brothers, were gathered around a practice tree. And the game wasn't like, let's see who can have the better light. The game was who could call it. Like who, you, whoever called it closest to their actual reaction time won in advance. And I had never seen that. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, value to that. You know, forget, this may have even been in a time where like the bump down was just first being introduced. Obviously, it's valuable there. But just knowing when you leave the starting line, like, hey, I was probably worse than average there or I was better than average and how that kind of creates a blueprint for the rest of the run is huge. So, yeah, like there's a ton of value to that. I'll be honest. Um, I used to be better, I feel like, at – recognize recognition like when i let go how i felt and part of this too and i'll blame kevin at, at knr for this like I, I think he ruined me from day one but when i started racing a big car i had one of some of the ogs will remember like the first knr box wasn't the pro cube thing like it was this big gold looking shoe box right <laughs> but it had a bump down and it was one of the first boxes it may have been the first i'm not really sure to have a bump down so i spent hours on end practicing and i had like an old ms dos practice tree and that the the lights on it were an asterisk on the screen you know like the alt button i would kick the keyboard sideways sit it in my lap right and there was no stagger to it so after about 10 hits you could close your eyes and let go double o like it was a rhythm thing completely right but from that day on like i trained myself that all i wanted to know when i let go was how bad i missed it so i could like i'm gonna take advantage of this bump down thing right like i'm gonna make every light double o so I got I, what I felt like was really good at that, but I was super bump down dependent. Like I never let go and didn't bump, right? Like it was, I, Troy Williams Jr. used to make fun of me when we first met because I'd have my logbook and I'd have little asterisks beside my reaction time and that was how many bumps, right? And there was some that 
it have four or five, you know what I mean? <laughs> ne- never was just clean. And uh, so that, that served me really well until I started pro tree racing. And then I was like, okay, you're late. You can't do anything about it, right? Like I'd light it up 70 or something one round every weekend. And I'm like, I got to learn to actually hit the tree, right? So I kind of changed my practice routine around to that focus. And that served me really well, obviously, in pro tree racing and perhaps to some extent bracket racing too. But my, my grand point to that was that's all flipped around to where today, like I run a lot in my bump down because I'm not really good at recognition. Like I... I the way that I try to justify that is I'm so focused on hitting the tree that like, I know when I just stone miss it, but my window might be 10 to 15 thousandths. And I don't really know the difference between 15 and perfect. Right. I'll usually, if I bracket race a lot, I'll know it when the car hits the tires. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't low double low. You know what I mean? Just cause you kind of get in that rhythm. But when I let go, I really don't. So I actually run like 12 thousandths in the bump down and never hit it unless I, I know missed. that I'm screwed, screwed yep. up. Yep. So like I say, I feel like, I'm probably better on average now than I was, but my recognition is not awesome, which I think kind of makes me unique. You know what I mean? I I think most of the really good racers know, but I'll be honest. That's the same way I am, man, is uh, I heard a long time ago, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Jim Simmons. Yeah. So Jim Simmons, he, he's like one of my dad's best friends. I, I grew up, he's known me since I was little, little, you know? And, uh, when I first started racing big cars and was doing delay box stuff, he had told me, somebody said way back when, whenever bump downs first came out, just hit it best the first time and don't worry about it. And I started living by that and I don't bump myself red anymore, but every once in a while I'll be about 35. <laughs> <laughs> One but, of the coolest uh, like quotes I ever heard, and I still, I throw this out there a lot in our, in our live chats or the handful of live schools we do anymore. And I didn't hear it firsthand. I did a school years ago when we did all the, all the live schools. I, I did a couple with Jeff Rooks, a buddy of mine from Alabama was in back to back million dollar finals. Shoot, probably 15 years ago now I'm dating myself, but Rooks, came up at a, at a time and in an area where John LeBou Sr., Big John, just dominated. I mean, won everything that there was to win. And we were talking about top bulb reaction times in this school, and Jeff Brooks was like, hey, Big John told me one time, and, and keep in mind this is when delay boxes first came out and Big John's winning everything and he's got a delay box. Well, Jeff gets a delay box. And he's struggling with it. So he corners Big John and he's like, look, and I, I got this thing. I know you got one, right? This delay box thing. He said, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I, I can't get it figured out. Like, can you, can you tell me the secret? And he said, Big John looked him in the eye and said, son, it's easy. What you do is you hit the tree as fast as you can. You let go of that button as fast as you can every run. And you put enough delay in where you can't red light. And then you try to red light every freaking time. <laughs> that's it's really simplified you know i mean you're going back like 30 years but that's the thought process right like you you let the delay box handle it and you try to red light every freaking time so, <laughs> oh, exactly man and uh building off kind of what we were saying a little bit earlier uh kind of what george was talking about of what it takes to be a great racer so i've heard a lot of your uh a lot of your stuff as far as like, I think, you, I don't know if you call it being the triple threat or being whatever it is where you can hold numbers, run the number or spot drop, etc. cetera. Um, do you think that hitting the tree and running the number days are done and over with? Or basically is it just pretty much putting you on, that's got to be your game and don't even look over here because it's just going to mess you up type thing? If I've learned one thing, and particularly in recent years, it's that, there's no like prescribed way to win or dominate. Like there's a lot of different ways to go about this. And I don't necessarily, I won't necessarily say that one's more successful than another. Now, Casey, like when we first developed this as bracket racing and I first started writing that stuff, I was absolutely like, look, you can dial honest and like your car may be really good. You're not going to win a lot like that. Right. But keep in mind, that's 12, 15 years ago when cars weren't what they are today. Like, I think there's tremendous value in this day and age of saying, and I'll do it. Like, hey, I feel like I'm pretty skilled at the finish line, but this piece of equipment is way better than I am. Like, I'm just going to let it go dead on and win me rounds, right? Now, there's a time and a place for everything, and I think there's value to being able to change that up when situations dictate it. But I don't, like, there was a time where I thought that was a weak strategy. I don't think it's a weak strategy anymore. 
you know what I mean? As good as cars have gotten and as good as, as, as guys and gals can hit the tree. Um, like I say, I think there's a time and a place to switch it up and, and take advantage of conditions and situations, but especially eighth mile bracket racing, like if your kind of go to is to say like, look, I know I'm going 472 three. Like, why don't I just dial 472 and hold it on the rug and go dead on three? Like, I'm not going to take less than three thousandths of the stripe on purpose. Like, let's just win that way. And I, and I I don't think that's the wrong way to look at it. Whereas 20 years ago, I'd have told you that's the wrong way to look at it. And if and if that's your strategy, if you're four better than them on the tree, if they're anywhere in front of you, they have to break out. It's they not, lose. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Common cord is what some people would say. You can't get under. You can't get in it. So uh, I, I heard that on one of the live feeds a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, and I hadn't heard that. I like that. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember which feed it was. But, uh, no one's ever going to beat Big Jed's mathematically ineligible. No, 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 no. And everything's coming around that. If you had to be honest, uh, uh, Jake came up with a good one. He took a Walmart. Well, that was interesting. Um, and, uh, but the Common Core that was uh, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> At any rate, guys, that was some uh, some good information for you. We, Jake, uh, uh, excuse me. Look, we got a lot of newer racers that come to this uh, YouTube channel, uh, which is uh, kind of kind of what we we, we actually push for. Uh, we, cool. we enjoy giving as much as we can to the, the up-and-coming class, kind of almost like leaving our mark on the sport, uh, if, if you want us to get technical there. But I'm losing my train of thought. Casey, is it your question or is it mine? No, it's you. That's why you started talking. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that's a good, I guess that's a good point. Um, so in your opinion, and, and this is opinion now, I, I, everybody just understand this is opinion, but who is the best bracket racer today in your opinion uh, top bottom i don't necessarily want to put any restrictions on that you can you can you can uh i know you guys had the uh pros versus joe's race you don't have to necessarily uh throw anybody under a bus <laughs> but go for it Luke. man that's such an open-ended question because i feel like today more than ever you could say like 50 names that i wouldn't argue with i'll just go <laughs> You could go Hastings, you could go Ezel, like you could go so Hunter. Um, but I'll just say that the one for me that is not only tremendous, but I feel like is like must see TV. Like when I hear the name Jeff Sarah, I want to rush to the finish line because not only does he do it at a level that that few can match, you know, and, and I and I would put him on that short list. But he's way more fun to watch because like he'll just blatantly hold God knows what and make the right decision at the finish line and it the way that it's a throwback to me and johnny's like this too easel in that half the time like i as good as cars are today like jeff probably knows what he can go for the most part but he doesn't seem really spot dependent it's not like he's just trying to get back to dead on he even told me this i think we were at the um the bristol million last year or yeah and uh the round he was just mowing through him and the round he lost in the million he would he went like one and a half under, which is a lot, you know, in this day and age in a back-to-back round because it was pretty late in the race and was like one thou further under than his opponent was 002 to his opponent's 005 or something like that, took fourth out to lose. And I'm like, why did you go so far under? He's like, I knew I was low double O. Like, I just want to get there first. And that was something that we said 15 years ago that today people are way more disciplined, if you will, and just like get back to dead on. He's like, no, I, I knew I had the tree and maybe my car slowed down. Like I just wanted to cross first by a little bit. And he's two take four for the L. You know, I'm like, it's really impressive. And he, and he could go yeah. six under. You know what I mean? I just I have I have uh, I'm not saying that he's the, the best. He's on that short list. But I just have tremendous respect and awe for the way that he approaches it because to me that's a throwback like there's very few people that blatantly say like hey i'm gonna make this buy run i'm gonna go 458 and i'm gonna dial 466 come on like, <laughs> i just think that's cool you know? and that's why, that's why he got in richard duke's car with scotty richardson's motor in it and had two tight inverter i had no clue what he could run and won at all. i guarantee that i mean granted and and we had jeff on uh, our show after that race to kind of walk through it and granted like that was a sequence of events that could probably never be duplicated and, and if you put him back in it i'm not sure he could do it again but to your point casey he holds 
he's one of maybe like you, you could count on one hand the number of people with the skill set that could actually pull something like that off. You know what I mean? Right. Because he's just not afraid and he's used to holding a ton and it doesn't really matter that he doesn't know what he can go. He doesn't care that he's getting chased. Like, But sometimes he was getting chased hard sometimes. That's one thing to drive like that whenever you're dialed within like a half second of somebody either right. way. But whenever you have a dragster, a 450 dragster running up on you and you're dialed 610, if they're holding anything, you really don't know what you're doing. You know, no, but he does. I don't think that car is the greatest for visibility looking back. Like he was even, he even laughed about it in the final because like his plan was to cross first. And he didn't know what he could go, right? And he was running sense and he going 460s. He's like, I can only see back so far. He says, so I ripped it and I ripped it and I ripped it. And I'm like, oh, he's not there. And then the next thing I know, he was there. And he went, oh, God. And he said, I have anything left to do but drop. Like, I screwed up. You know, like it was just his day. But like that's not to take away from the, the skill set that he's got. Because most of us wouldn't have attempted what he did, much oh. less to pull it off. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is at the end of the day, yeah, maybe he had a couple lucky rounds. But he didn't get lucky every single round. No. At the end of the day, he still hit the tree if absolutely nothing else. You know right. what I mean? Building off that question again, who is the best racer or will be considered the best bracket racer of all time? And why do you think that? Do we even, now that we have the Nick Hastings and the Ezels and the Jeff Sarahs, and you go on and on and on and on with all these new guys, Hunter Patton, Corey Galletti, on and on and on. Do we even know who that could be? until like 50 years even from now and then will it change will that change our mind yeah no i mean i think the the metric of when you're asking is is a big part of that like i'm still i'll show my age and be like the old guard so to speak because i i know some of the younger generation would argue now like for my money best i've seen in my lifetime i still feel like it's a coin flip between scotty and peter Mm-hmm. But there's in 10 years, like nobody that races is re- going to remember racing with Scotty and Peter. You know, or in 10 years might be a little abrupt, but the, that's the progression of how things change. If you're asking me, based on what we've seen so far, like 20 years from now, um, I think that I think you could make an argument for Justin Lamb just because he's going to he's going to amass so many um, achievements. By that time, I mean, he's already won five NHRA World Championships. He'll probably double that, you know. Um, but if you wanted to just say, like, who do I think we'll look back on and say is, like, the best pure driver? Right now, you could go a number of different ways with this, too. But but Gage really stands out to me, Birch. Like, he's got the complete package, the total skill set, versatile. Um, and I just feel like there will be opportunities present themselves to him if he wants to pursue them. I think he could win, whether it's a, a Super Comp or Super Gas World Championship, a Stock Super Stock World Championship, the biggest race on the bottom, the biggest race on the top, and a fast car and a slow car. Like, I just think he could do it all. And I feel like as long – and it, it's, it's difficult to peg to because, as you guys know, like, life changes and priorities change. But if he stays as remotely ambitious and enthusiastic about the sport as he is right now, I just – I've seen very few racers come along that have the skill set – and the savvy that he does at a young age, like I just think the sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. And 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 one beautiful thing that we have going on, uh, Luke. You have kids. You got two boys. I've got two boys. It wouldn't matter if I've had two girls, to be honest. Uh, they're going to get raised at a racetrack. So eventually, they're going to have the ability to say, like you, myself, and Casey. Oh, dad used to race all the time. So we went to the track with dad, and mom. Now they're standing behind us, watching us do what we're doing right now, and they get to follow us to possibly be the greatest of their time. So it's, it's a beautiful time that we, uh, we got going on right now relative. Casey, I know you're going to be on your way eventually, you know, but, you know, kids, we, it's like you said, you wanted to jump out of your shoes when your kid wanted around. Uh, and um, I'm waiting on that moment. I haven't seen that yet. Mine's uh, just now turned five, so one of these days. But uh, I know my question is next, and, um, you know, I'm sure someone is watching the show wondering how they can become a better racer get sponsors, or even their hand at uh, racing for a living, you know, try their hand at racing for a living. What advice would you give someone who is looking to do something like that um, as far as for trying to get into the sport, maybe even turn it into a career? Let me circle back a little bit on the on the next generation, so to speak. Like, is I, I'm curious, you guys thought on this, like, I, I think about this a lot. I, I want... 
I want my boys to, to excel in whatever it is that they choose. But at the same time, like, I don't, I don't want to force them into like my dream. You know what I mean? I introduce them to racing. I want to introduce them to a lot of things, but I particularly, I worry about my success being like a bit of a burden and really my lifestyle. Even like I had a buddy that's big in, um, basketball. He's a reporter. Right. And, um, and his, his son saw, I think it was a, a commercial for Disney World or something like that. He's like, Dad, I want to go to Disney World. With this. Yeah, we'll go to Disney World. And his son was just shocked. And he was like, do they have basketball there? <laughs> and, and his dad was like, no, you don't think that I'll go to take you to Disney World if I can't, you know, wrap a basketball, you know, <laughs> my, my, my work around it? And his kid was just amazed that he would. And, and I don't. I don't want that. Like, I don't want my kids to grow up hating racing because it took daddy away from them. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it would be easy to draw that correlation. So I try, I feel like that's a tight rope to walk, you know what I mean? Given that it's, it's how I make my living. It's, and it's something that I'm passionate about, but I try to be really mindful about like, Hey, if, if this is something that you're interested in and you want to do, like I'm all in, but if you want to go play golf, like I'm all in there too. You know what I mean? And just try to, to support them. So I, I, I'm there with Gary now because he actually, for the first time, it's funny because yeah, I told you he got his first win lot at, at Bowling Green. Well, we had been to I-57 three or four times, and, and there's no age groups, you know, so he's running older kids with with much better equipment at this point, like I said <laughs> earlier. And he's just getting his head beat in, but he doesn't know any better. Like, he's just having fun going down the racetrack. Well, at Bowling Green, he won his first round, and he's 008, and he's all fired up, right? And he gets the bye the next round. Well, then when he lost in the semis, there's tears, everything else. Like now all of a sudden there's, you get a little taste of success and I don't want to call it expectation, but like now, you know, like it's way cooler to win than it is to lose. Right. So that was after that run. He's like, daddy, it's your fault. Like you should teach me how to race. (laughs) Well, we can do that if that's what you want to do. You know what I mean? I, I just try to be really mindful of not. I don't want to be the the little league parent that's, you know, having his ball, having, having the boy hit balls into the cage, you know. I'll yeah, tell you what, best, yeah. thing, best thing my dad ever did for me was, uh, and I, I don't think you can take necessarily 100% of this approach anymore because the, the junior kids know what they're doing now. It's not like, I would say when I was running junior dragsters, that was almost like drag racing in the 80s where you got some more leeway because junior dragsters weren't good then. I used to hold like four numbers, not because I knew what I was doing, but because if it's fun on the line, I knew that's dead on. And if it didn't, then I'm lifting. But the thing, the thing my dad always did that really helped me later on, which everybody forgets now that junior dragsters are a learning experience. They're not to go beat everybody and then they get in big cars and now they're in with the sharks. They get in this top bulb car and you wonder why those kids quit when they're 18. It's not because they went to college. It's because dad helped them way too much. Now they don't know what they're doing and they're back at the bottom and they're getting their head kicked in rather than adapting. Well, the thing is, my dad always made my car right, but my dad never dialed me in. Now, I didn't start when I was as young as, as your boy is. I started whenever I was either 10 or 11. So I started, I knew what I was doing. There's a big difference there. But at the same time, like learning the, the finish line type stuff, like, yeah, my dad taught me, like, if you're in front, you lift. You can do this, you can do that. The other stuff I kind of had to learn on my own, which you will be able to teach him because that's something you know. But it sounds to me like he's interested enough now. I don't, I don't think you have to worry about that, man. That kid's going to be off at least for a long time. And even, even me, whenever I went to college, I quit racing for a little while, and then I traveled. I've been to every U.S. state, all the Canadian province, not, not for fun, for work. I've been to Puerto Rico 12 times for work. I've been to Hawaii for work. Like, I've been everywhere. So traveling that much, that's even more than you travel racing, you know? So I quit for a while, but what did I do once I finally stopped traveling so much? Now I have two race cars. So you you can always take a break if you want to. So he'll he'll find his own way, but I don't think – I mean – I've, I've known of you for a long time, but I know you're not the type of guy to yell at your kid for no apparent reason either. So. Right, right, right. No, you, and Luke, I think you'll be okay because uh, he's been bit by the bug just like you were, just like Casey was, just like I was. Um, I don't think it, uh, once I take my boys, I, I, matter of fact, I take my boy to one race and uh, we have maybe four juniors in the in the family right now. And they're all racing, and he taps my dad on the shoulder, not even knowing my dad could build a race car. He says, Pop, will you build me one of those? 
And and that was the first race he'd ever been to, and he was like three years old. So it's going to grab him regardless. You take him to the racetrack. Everybody, listen. This is the best advice. If you take a kid to the racetrack, they're gonna get hooked. That's all I got for you. It, it's gonna exactly. happen. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm gonna reiterate. I'm gonna re-ask my question here. Uh, sure. That way we can kind of get back on a little bit of a tangent. But it's definitely well worth knowing. Um, you know, don't necessarily push them in, but they're in, Luke. I don't think you can take them out if you try to. You can try. Hey, you don't like that anymore, right? Yeah, no, Daddy, I love that. Don't do not do it again, you know. But um, I'm sure there is someone watching this show wondering how they could become a better racer, get sponsors, or even try their hand at racing for a living. What advice would you give someone looking to do something like that? I don't want to. I don't want to be like the old man yelling, you know, get off my lawn. Like, but I will say, be be careful what you wish for. Like, that's all I ever wanted, and and it's been really good to me. I have zero regrets. Um, but I missed a lot um, pushing all in to do this, and now I can look back kind of through the other side. Like, I've got a I've got a very stable income. Like, I've got a really good life, right? But there were times when it was rough. You know what I mean? And it was just. It was purely out of passion. And I think just this sense of this is what I'm going to do with my life. And everybody told me that it wasn't going to work and I'm going to prove them wrong. You know what I mean? Like it, kind of to push through that and the fact that that in the depths of that, like I didn't have to take care of anybody but me. You know what I mean? I was a single guy and, and I, I, I bounced checks to the electric company and didn't care. And you know what I mean? Like you just kind of flew, flew by night and make it all work. Like it's it you look at and, and I idolized you know, Growing up where I did, when I did, it was Scotty and Edmund, it was Tommy Phillips. I mean, I, I had the blueprint laid out, like, hey, here's how you go and do this. Um, but until you do it, like, all you see is winter circle pictures and trophies and, like, the, all the good parts, right? Well, there's a lot of bad, too, and it's hard. Like, it's a it's a difficult way to make a living. And, and Fletcher and I had this conversation not too long ago as well. Like, I think it's... I think it's harder now than it was even in my day or his just because the the this age of bracket racing is a little bit different because now for the first time ever like the purses are actually commensurate to the investment that you've got to make to really be competitive but if you throw them away uh, you know the the hundred thousand dollar races and up that if you win one it's going to change your season and and could certainly it could change your life too right um but if you remove those from the equations like by and large we're racing for a lot of the same purses that we did 10 20 years ago and everything's like cost twice as much money to go do it you know what i mean like it's right. it's a tough way to, to to try to make a living um the only way i think and again you could push back against this like hunter's made a good living the last couple of years i don't know even given his skill set how um how long that could last you know what i mean i don't know that you'd want to depend on having to go win a quarter million dollars a year like that's tough right uh, i i feel like by and large with those few exceptions to do it you really need help whether it's in the form of, of marketing partnership or some type of racing related business around your passion. I mean, that's kind of what this is bracket racing became for me. Um, so can that be done? Yeah, like absolutely. And, and I would also say from a marketing partnership standpoint, uh, you know, getting funding for your racing, my impression is that that's a little bit more difficult to get than it has been in the past as well, but I don't think it's off the table and it's certainly not, like it doesn't have to be a linear thing. It's not like, well, first you have to prove that you can win at any level before anybody will notice and, and, and be willing to invest in your operation. Like the most most successfully quote unquote sponsored, I hate that term, but you know, racers that have marketing partners that have a name down the side of the car, like the vast majority of those relationships, winning is like icing on the cake. What those companies want in this day and age, like it's not like hey, just slap a sticker on your car and go win some races and we'll benefit from it. Like you've got to devise a business plan that's going to be mutually beneficial and is going to sell beans or, or sell products for, for that company, whether you win or lose. Like, and it's easy, I guess, to look at it. Like we've all seen racers that are, are sponsored that don't really seem that competitive. But I think a lot of that is because it just takes so much energy to do your job, to do what you're getting paid for, that the racing itself can be a little bit of an afterthought. The guys, the, the handful that can combine the two, that can be successful in the boardroom and successful on the racetrack are few and far between. But I think by and large, those are the guys and gals that have actually been able to truly do it for a living. 
Right. There's, uh, you see all those cars that have, say, Lucas Oil on the side because they're always everywhere. I guarantee you they got cases of Lucas Oil and Slick Mist and all that stuff in the trailer. And Lucas Oil doesn't care about those winter circle pictures, believe it or not. Like you said, that's icing on the cake. They care is what I'm getting two or three times more than what I'm giving you. They don't care if you're building swimming pools, you know. They only they don't care about that winter circle picture. They only care, like you said, the winter circle picture, yeah, they're going to put that on what's the Forrest Lucas's office or something like that. I guess Morgan's now. Right. I mean, they're going to put it in his office and say, oh, yeah, I remember that time. But they care about numbers on the paper. That's why they're sponsoring you. But speaking of uh, sponsored things, tell us about the biggest little door car race there is, the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. I've personally been to either two or three of them. I can't remember over the years. I was at the very first one you ever did. Uh Got me one of them. I got paid stickers because my car wasn't running right, so I got my dad's Camaro and made some rounds in it. But uh, tell us about that, man, because I-57 drag strip's been totally redone. Well, not totally redone, but a lot of a lot of improvements. And uh, it looks to me like if you park them in right, you might be able to get at least 50 more rigs in there. Yeah, I think that's realistic. They've opened it up a bunch. I, I remember that that day well for a lot of reasons. I remember watching you go rounds, Casey, and the that first uh, that first door car race. Uh, Jed was announcing for us at the time, and I'll never forget. It rained really hard, and we were in the old tower at I fifty seven. You know, that, that come up through the middle of the track, and uh, <laughs> that wasn't old. <laughs> it started. Uh, it started to pour, and immediately, uh, Leanne Bailey, Scott's wife, and uh, and a couple other people that were used to being in the tower. They like had a regimen when it started raining. There were these five gallon buckets spread out <laughs> underneath the, the the counter in the tower, and they would put them in the proper places to catch all the rain that was coming in. You know, where timing <laughs> system equipment, everything else is in there. And I'll never forget Jed's just standing around looking at all this in awe, right? And he's got live mic, and he's like, "Folks, take cover. I know it's raining out there. It's got to be raining hard out there. It's raining hard." <laughs> you know, I mean, but uh, no, there's been some good times over the years. But to your point, Casey, you know. Um, Donnie Ellis and his family recently uh, took over ownership by 57. And honestly, like I love the the Bailey, Scott, and Leanne, their, their family to me. I'm going to miss not not having them at the race. But at the same time, I'm really excited for what Donnie and, and, and the Ellis family have done at I-57. To your point, they've made tremendous upgrades already. And they just opened uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, basically have repaved the entire pits. The place is manicured. It looks better than it has since I have lived here. Um, they've opened up a ton of room um, parking. As you mentioned, they, they cleared out basically all the trees on that would be the east side of the track, the interstate side of the track, which initially I kind of fought Donnie on. I'm like, I like my shade over there. Like, <laughs> dig that. But it is amazing how much it's opened the place up. Uh, I'm kind of anxious to get out there with my uh, with my tape measure in a couple weeks and start kind of drawing out the parking diagram for the door car race. But to your point, I, I do think, well, we didn't cap the race this year, um, which is saying something, right? I, partially we did that because there's so much saturation in the market and getting the place open mid-season limited our options to where I feel like we're in a really busy time of year. We're up against the, the same weekend as our race is the Division Three ET Finals and the Division Five ET Finals, and you're just in that heart of big dollar bracket season. So, so I think that's going to saturate it and diminish our crowd slightly. But at the same time, if I'm wrong, like we had always capped it at 220 before and usually parked about 200. And I think if we were to get really good weather and get a big crowd, like I'm confident we can easily park 250 and maybe if it's dry up closer to 300, I'll know better when I lay it all out. But we've definitely got more room than we ever have. And the thing that, go ahead, George. Oh, no, I'm going to slide that, I'm going to slide the flyer in right now, Luke. So uh, I've oh, got cool. the door car flyer up, I'm going to slide it in. Uh, but well, uh, boy, was, uh, While he's doing that, I was just going to say also that uh, this, is, this is the best part, in my opinion, about the new ownership of I-57 drag strip is that Donnie Ellis is a racer, and he's not just a I own a race car racer. Donnie's way into it, and he has a fast door car. So if you're worried about things not hooking, Donnie's going to know it doesn't hook because he's there. And what's his his door car all motor runs 520s, 510s, something like yeah, that? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think they got it turned down to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that, that's uh, so I know his Beretta's not around anymore, but his uh, he beat me a lot in that Beretta. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But the uh, 
Is that the old CNTS car? I've wondered that for a while. It is. It's, it's, it's Peyton's old, old car. Yep, it's Peyton's old Cavalier that he's got now. Yeah, beautiful okay. car. Yeah, very nice car. So, but no, Donnie, to your point, he's a racer. He gets it. You know, he he, he knows what racers wants. I, I feel like he's there's there's a lot of updates that he wants to make to i-57 but the way that he's prioritized it has been very racer friendly like we're going to pave the pits first you know what i mean stuff like that uh you know over even say putting in a putting in a concession stand like they've got food trucks food trucks out there but the, the pits are perfect you know what i mean so <laughs> that that's more of a racer point of view and the other really beneficial thing to the facility and to our local racers about donnie taking over is not only is he a racer He's a very successful businessman, owns a owns a trucking company that they got to have 40, 50 trucks. And he'll tell you this every time you ask him about it. Like this racetrack is not his only source of income. Like he he don't he don't have to make money at it. I, if it turns any type of profit, he's going to reinvest it right back into the racetrack. And as you guys know, like that's good for all of us that are going to frequent it, whether it's once a year or every week. Like I think you're just going to continually see improvements there, which is really exciting because it's my favorite place to race. I'm a little biased because it's 20 miles from home, but I, I love the the vibe of being out there. No, I think yeah, I was fixing to say the same, and it's. It's really good to see uh, to see that track back open. Um, it, it's just a place that's grassroots for us. We, we grew up in that area, um, and um, uh, definitely glad to see it back open. It was kind of a it was kind of hurt. It hurt a little bit to come back home. And my dad's from Centralia, of course. So if you guys know ge- ge- uh, you know geographically, that's not very far from Benton, Illinois. But uh, it hurt. We we we'd have a place to race and it, it would be Benton sometimes. Well, there for the, for the last few years, we didn't get to go there. I guess it was just a year. I shouldn't say a few, but, but no, uh, Luke, you know, uh, we were coming to the, to the end of the stream there. And as always here at the Gorn Bracket Racing YouTube channel, we want to give the mic to you. If there's anybody you need to thank, uh, you want to give a shout out to someone, Hey man, the floor is yours. Feel free to, to, to mention. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I'll stay on the, on the door car shootout page and just say like, I was kind of talking about the vibe at I-57. A lot of a lot of our racers kind of give us credit for that at the door car race, and and the feedback I always get is, and it feels like going back in time. And it, but I don't think we can take credit for that. I feel like that's racing at I-57. Like when I go out there, it it really gives me vibes of like going with my father to Texas Raceway in the early '90s, you know. And the bigger races there, like remind me of the texas shootouts back in the day you know that that were just the biggest races in the area everybody kind of flocked to them and it just it still had while it's a cutthroat deal and it pays more money like you just still had that sense of family and camaraderie and i don't know like i know that that's not completely unique to i-57 but for the type of racing that i do like i don't get that nearly enough and it's so nice to to come out there and kind of get it's refreshing i guess would be the best way to say it but no i'm excited about our event it's a little over a month away uh, like i say no pre-entry this year we did release and at the george i think you put it up the the front page of the flyer uh i've been working on our um, manufacturers and, and trying to put everything together because when donnie and i agreed to this it was oh my god we gotta have a race in two months right so i want to get the information out get the front page up but uh, I'm probably going to send everything to Beard to finalize the, the second page, maybe by the end of this week. And I'll just tell you, like, we've got tremendous manufacturer feedback. I reached out to all the, all the companies that normally support the Summer Door Car Shootout, and I don't think anybody said no. And we picked up probably a dozen new manufacturers. Like, we're going to give away more and better stuff than ever. So look forward to that second page of the flyer. Like, it's it's going to be a really special race. It's the 10th anniversary. So uh, we're fired up about it. And uh, I don't. I want to say that I can't wait um, for September 17th, but I need it to be at least September 17th. I need a month to get all this all my, all my ducks in a row and make sure, that we're, make sure that we're delivering on our end. But no, I'm fired up about it. It's going to be fun. Got it. Awesome, man. Well, we can't thank you enough for doing this, man. Uh, George and I, me for sure, uh, I remember reading all your articles back in National Dragster back in the day and all that stuff, and we both looked up to you for a really long time, and we can't thank you enough for coming on here with us, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, if you don't know, this is Bracket Racing, guys. Shout it out. Take a look at it. Uh, find it on Facebook. If you need help doing so, let me know. If I need help doing so, I'll reach out to Luke or Jess or someone and, and kind of tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I got a few people interested and this is bracket racing. You want to know how to do it like the best? Uh, it's a good spot to go to, guys. Uh, definitely uh, look them up. Look them up. I know you're not an open enrollment for Elite right now, but uh, 
but uh, we'll, we'll post that when it comes down the line too. So uh, yeah, yeah, that'll probably be in, on, in November. But we've got most of our resources available on the website on thisisbracketracing.com. So if you are uh, if you're a racer and you want to be a better racer, check us out. We can help. Well, thank you, awesome. thank you very much for tuning in. Just a little clerical work, guys. Uh, Luke, I don't even know if you saw this one yet, but it looks like Muncie's gonna have a pretty big race there. Kyle Riley's gonna put on SFG no split twenty thousand to the winner. Uh, twin 20Ks is what it looks like uh, October 1st through the 3rd. And I think, if I'm not wrong, that uh, pre-entry is going to be coming. They're only taking 256 cars, if I'm not mistaken myself. Um, and um, so definitely keep your eyes open. That, that uh, pre-entry is going to start on uh, August 11th. So um, oh, well, right in our cool. back door. Yeah, yeah that's right yeah. in our back no, door. I, a month ago. I uh... No, I saw the flyer for that, and, it, and that seems like a, a, a trend that I think has been long overdue. It's it's really cool to see a race, if I'm not mistaken, that thing is like 20 grand to win, 10 grand to runner-up, 5 grand to semi. I mean, the payback is phenomenal, and I, I do. I feel like that's been long overdue. I would love to see that format really catch fire. Yep. Nope. So, guys, uh, definitely I'm going to slide that flyer in here before we get out of here. And uh, as always, Casey, you got anything left? No, I think that's about it, man. Hey, well, Good show. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys next Tuesday.